You know, whenever this topic comes up regarding politics and their place in the classroom, I'm reminded or more so brought back to a very specific date and one that, well, many of you may also be familiar with. And that date was Wednesday, November 9th, 2016. And as I'm sure many of you do, I remember that day because it was the day after our current president, Donald Trump, was elected by the Electoral College as president of the United States. And as it just so happened in a sort of, I guess, mildly ironic twist of fate, that uh, next day, that Wednesday class in my um, freshman writing composition class, we were actually doing professional development writing day, particularly looking at resumes and cover letters, those types of, uh, again, professional development documents that are you know, quite vital and quite useful to many of my undergraduate students. I always tell them if they learn one thing from my class, it's take my advice on cover letter writing and resume writing because I have time and time again students who come back to me whether to visit or just via email tell me how, yeah, they were able to get an internship or a job or whatever the case may be using either directly the the cover letters and resumes that we work on in class or just some of the skills that, that they've employed in, you know, further that writing of that type. Anyways, so I remember we were working on resumes and cover letters that day and there was a sort of weird almost haze over the mood of class and particularly the whole college and I think the whole country to a large extent. And anyways, I remember working um, through my lesson plan talking about credibility and credentials and one student raised his hand and said, why bother? Essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially asked, why bother with all of what we were doing? And he said it in sort of an ironic way, again, a sort of humorous, satirical way, but there was sort of a a very serious sense of, uh, I guess you could say, realism in terms of a lot of the shock that many students and many people were going through with the fact that Donald Trump was now our president. And I, I sort of paused. It was, to this day, one of the biggest questions and asked, ever asked in one of my classes that really sort of caught me for a, a, a moment there and, and caught me off guard and really had no idea how to respond. And I think what I ended up telling him, it was one of those moments where the class just falls silent too. Uh, you know, you can hear a, a pin drop, as they say, in the corner, right? And I said something along the lines of, well, we have to do better, or something along those lines. Or we at least have to try to do better. You know, we have to lead by example, I think is what I said. Something along those lines. Anyways, it did get me to thinking about something that I hadn't really thought so much about before, which was 
exactly this question that's our, our topic right now. What is the place of politics in a classroom? And of course, I had thought about it, but in terms of its real impact and effect, I, I think it was a moment like that, that or it's moments like that that really you know, stand out to you as, as sort of pivotal uh, points that you can really look at and say, geez, you know, what is the best use of our time here in terms of, you know, the fact that the classroom is a great place for all sorts of discussions and all sorts of collaborations, but of what types and, and to what extent is always one of the, the major or, or, or are the major questions, right? And, you know, I think the first question we have to start by asking with uh, is what is the what is the point, first of all, of college at large, you know, going to university or going to school at all to begin with, and then breaking down from there, well, in particular classes, you know, what is sort of the role of not just the, the curriculum and the course material, but the role of the instructor in facilitating those conversations and those discuss discussions. And, you, you know, I, I wanted to talk about this because I don't think there's necessarily a consensus on this. I mean, as far as I, I know, I, I haven't read or been told specific guidelines on this. I'm sure that it's written down somewhere in terms of being impartial and unbiased. But, I mean, I got to tell you, I, I certainly know instructors who you know, whether explicitly or implicitly by what they say, make their political affiliations, if you if you have it, pretty well known. And again, I think part of this, of course, depends on the nature of the class. Obviously, you know, we can start by pointing out that many classes, you're not really going to run into political discussions, um, you know, particularly in non-humanities classes, right? Uh, the sciences, math, those sorts of things. Uh, the discussion doesn't so much come up as it does in the humanities. And this is where it gets sort of weird, sort of tricky, because some classes on their surface by nature, I mean, if you're studying political science, obviously, well, politics is going to come up as part of the lectures and part of the discussions. But there's a, many other subjects where, again, certain issues or certain philosophies may arise that, you know, as part of the discussion, it sort of leads into political debate or political discussion of some sort. And again, there's all sorts of examples that I can imagine thinking back to my own undergraduate and even graduate school careers. But, you know, if you certain philosophy classes, again, poli-sci is a big one. What I teach, however, in terms of writing, it gets specifically interesting in a different way because writing is so fundamental in so many different disciplines, including discussions of politics and policy and social issues. And so writing, and particularly whether it's creative or writing and rhetoric, I think you know, really sometimes these issues can come up. And again, the question is like, well, what what are the roles and what are the goals, right? And so I, I find that interesting to sort of ask and even more interesting or maybe difficult to define. You know, one of the assignments that we do in my freshman writing composition class is directly related to the idea that, well, 
how are you going to formulate arguments, let alone address what the other side to these arguments are? And this is sort of my philosophy in terms of addressing politics in the in the classroom, in terms of any sides of political spectrum or any sides of political disagreement. You know, it's sort of looking at all of this from the angle that whether or not you agree with a certain political affiliation or political ideology, you have to at least identify the fact that it does exist. And you know, this this seems relatively rudimentary, perhaps, but I think more and more, uh, and I, I say this because I've seen it firsthand, there's, you know, it's so easy to generalize by saying, oh, the, the left does this, or the right does that, or the left never does this, or the right never does that, or the left always does this, and the right always does that. So I, I don't like to point to specific ends of the political spectrum in terms of who does what. Because I think you see a, a lot going on from individuals, regardless of their political affiliations, in terms of the openness for discourse and discussion. And this is sort of my point. I, I see this as an issue on both sides oftentimes. Again, not even bringing my own politics into this, which is a total other issue, but just pointing out the fact that, I, I mean, I, I know people, again, of all sorts of political affiliations who are genuinely uninterested in what the other side or the alternate viewpoint or alternate perspective might be. Um, but I, I think it's important to note that it is a an element within academia at this point. Now, I should caution myself <laughs> because... Believe it or not, the politics extend far beyond just the larger sort of global or national political scene. And I say this because there's politics at school as well. So you, you actually have to be careful what you say, too. Even the fact that I'm saying that I have to be careful what I say in regards to school politics is kind of scary. And it's kind of, again, a little... A little strange, a little bizarre, I would say. But I'll get into more of this a, a little bit later. I don't want to go too far off the rails in terms of getting into school politics just yet. Um, and so what, what I want to sort, sort of circle back to is what we were saying earlier about how not all classes are alike, right? And if you look at, say, again, a math class compared to a poli-sci class, the nature of the course is going to have different focuses that by their very nature, lead more towards political discussions or not. Again, in my writing classes, this is a, a different issue in not just looking at the type of class, but looking at the type of assignment as well. So, for example, in my more rhetorically based classes, which are courses where we are doing uh, different types of research and research writing and oftentimes argumentative research writing, there are all sorts of issues that obviously have clear connections to the political scene and obviously people who are involved on all sorts of par parts or points of the political spectrum. You know, I did an episode recently, I think it was either the, no, it was the episode before last and the title, if you haven't heard it, I think it's 
actually a, a really great episode getting into a lot of these issues related to what we today see as, as public discourse regarding anything that's political, uh, political or any topic that's politicized. And the title of that episode was the advice that I give my freshman writing students pretty much the first day that we talk about argument and, and rhetoric. And, you know, that advice is quite simply, and it's as much of an actual assignment guideline as it is general life advice. And that is that eat shit and die is not a valid researched argument. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I say this because, again, I, I see this oftentimes, uh, particularly on social media, but you know, I mean, this transcends from technology to the real world. Obviously, maybe not oftentimes that explicitly, but, uh, you know, certainly in terms of the quality of the arguments, right? And so building off of that sort of premise, one of the things that we continue to look at as we start doing research is, in addition, that, you know, the fact that doing research in of itself is also just not good enough. And it's sort of ironic that this has become such an issue. And it's not an issue that's talked about nearly as much as I think it should be. And and I say this not just academically, but just in, you know, where, wherever else I see people talking about uh, the, the, you know, certain political issues or the quality of debate about certain issues or topics or, and whatnot. And that is, you know, the fact that the, the internet should be a good thing. And in many ways it is, right? We have access to instant communication across the planet, instant access to all sorts of information. I said this in an earlier episode too, that when you think about the fact that you live in an era where you can roll over in your bed and pick up your phone and on your phone, you have access to more information than what whatever historic library you want to pick, you know, the the Library of Alexandria or the Vatican Archives. Well, maybe not the Vatican Archives uh, because there's stuff in there that m most of us don't have access to. But that, that aside, in terms of the types of information, the amount of information, in terms of the amount of information, you have in your phone access to more information than a Library of Alexandria or, you know, any library you may want to choose times... Pick your number, <laughs> a million, a billion, a gajillion, right? There's no shortage to the access of information that you you really have at your fingertips in our, you know our our modern era, which is you know a phrase that I don't like students to use, especially when they start their essays. But it's certainly applicable if you're comparing and contrasting you know situations today compared to historically, right? Anyways, the point being that this should be a good thing, right? That we have this level of informational access, right? However, what does that really create in terms of translating to quality and translating to people's ability to really synthesize and assess what that quality is? And this is, to me, I think the most important skill that I try to focus on and I try to teach in my, in my, in my classes is this idea that you know, saying that you're doing research to justify an argument is or can almost be worse than not doing research at all. And again, 
you know, you know, this obviously is not a blanket statement that's true uh, in, in all cases or even many cases, but perfect example, go on Facebook, go to anybody's Facebook page who is particularly uh, vocal or active in terms of any political viewpoint. And I, I would say, argue this across the political spectrum. And you will find no shortage of studies or claimed studies or news outlets claiming studies or claiming findings or claiming research. The problem is, is that there's, <laughs> you can find any type of research to justify your shitty opinion or your great opinion or your confused opinion or your all over the map opinion, right? And to me, this is the, the big problem with the, the fact that we've been given essentially this, you know, golden pot at the end of the information rainbow of all the types of information we could ever possibly want. But th that pot is seemingly endless. You start digging into it and you go deeper and deeper. And now all of a sudden it feels like you're falling in almost, right? You get lost inside. Too much of a good thing almost. Uh, and of course, many of those gold doubloons are plastic. They're not even real, it turns out. I don't know where I'm going with this, uh, this, this metaphor of sorts. But you, I, I hope you see my point, right? And so it becomes incumbent upon, I think, it, it, your, you know, your teachers, but, you know, us as individuals. Again, this, you know, the, the idea of this podcast is to, you know, share these lessons of the classroom for other students who might be listening as well as, for, you know, just the larger pu public, right? Because these guidelines in terms of asking these questions about the quality of information you're finding is so severely lacking in so many, uh, you know, realms of discussion, if you want to call them that, uh, in all sorts of pockets of social media. And, and again, I, I see this all the time. Study claims this, research claims that. You know, one of the first videos I show, because I, I like to mix in videos, especially for my freshmen, you know, they, they need a video day every now and then uh, as their priorities. Oftentimes they're figuring out how the, the laundry machine works. I say that facetiously. They're, they're good kids, but again, it's an adjustment curve for them. So it's a lot to be bombarding them with these concepts all the time of rhetoric and you know rigor of research and all that type of stuff so i i mix it try to mix in some fun videos and, and one of the videos i show them is a great john oliver video if you've never seen uh, his show last week tonight it's it's uh, usually pretty great in terms of the the these pieces that he does it's almost like the old daily show pieces but expanded extended and they go for as long as they want because it's on hbo so you know curse all he wants you know, take his time to make his point. So he might have a video that's 10 minutes about a topic. He might have a video that's 40 minutes about a topic uh, because he does the work that you need and his team does the work that you need to to adequately describe how this issue exists in however long it takes, right? That sort of makes sense. Some issues are obviously much more complicated in terms of even looking at a specific focus or specific aspect of them. That's going to take longer to explain. Again, if there's you know, a lot of further factors involved and points to assess and analyze. And one of his his great videos, I, I linked this in the Eat Shit and Die is Not a Valid Research Argument um, episode, is ab uh, regarding the use of research studies by major media outlets, right? And, you know, the fact that a lot of that information is oftentimes erroneously reported the findings 
um, or it's just not completely told uh, in terms of what the research is actually showing. They jump to conclusions. Again, they're news outlets. They're interested in flashy headlines and, you know, clicks, clicks, clicks means ads and revenue. Makes sense from a financial standpoint. But again, this is what people post and share and argue about rather than reading the research themselves. So this is a, you know, I'm kind of doing this in the long-winded way, explaining it. But but my point about all of this is that you kind of have to go to these sources themselves and really take the time to analyze them. And oftentimes students tell me when they realize when we explain all all of this and they finally get it, they say, oh, that's a lot of work. And (laughs) I had students, I swear, actually say that to me. And I say, exactly. So what does the work show? You know, that's why we're taking time to do it. So you can really figure out the fact that these issues are maybe much more complicated than you might have thought uh, initially going in. And so students see this when they do their researched argument essays oftentimes, especially regarding very polarized political issues. And, you know, again, I think it's really good for them because even if obviously they have a strong political opinion on one side or the other, they can kind of at least start to appreciate the fact that there are reasons as to why these alternate sides exist. I mean, I think this is vitally important compared to the idea that, you know, it's so ironic to think that the extremes of the political spectrum actually in some ways have more in common than they do with the moderates or centrists uh, within their own parties, right? So my point being that if you are a Republican who believes truly in the, 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 you know, however you want to call it or phrase it, right? But like the hard right line of whatever that political ideology encompasses in terms of specific issues from there, right? And you are unwavering. And part of that unwaveringness is that you truly believe that the other side, the Democrats, are all terrible people. And, you know, they're trying to destroy your way of life and, you know, all all these things, right? Ironically, the people on the far left feel the same way about the other side, right? There's no distinction. There's there's no separating from the fact that, well, there can be people, you know, again, as part of a spectrum, either whether being centrist or being, you know, between centrist and, and the other extreme of the other party, right? And, you know, in fact, it's gotten to the point where a lot of discussions I see, especially online, are along those lines of, it, well, if you're not on our, not only on our side, but on our side to the extent that we are, you are as bad, if not worse, than the other side because you should know better, right? If you know enough to be on our side, then why aren't you more on our side? Which is obviously, um, I don't know, I might get in trouble for saying this, but whatever. I think it's deranged and delusional, and I think it's counterproductive because I don't think it brings new people in. Um, I, I certainly don't think it, it helps to, um, you know, moderate uh, and modulate the, the, the debate but again, some people, they, they aren't interested in this, you know, more and more. But one of the arguments I see in terms of getting people out to vote is, oh, well, we're not going to convince people to vote for our candidate. We're going to, our goal is to get the people who already agree with us, but for whatever reason, haven't voted before or didn't vote last time and get them to vote. We're not looking to convert people from the other side, um, as if that's, you know, also a great way to think about it. But Again, the, the, you know, sort of the point being that, um, you know, there's this, this polarized sort of uh, 
being stuck in the mud, I feel like that comes from not taking time examining not just the other side of these issues, but why they exist the way that they do. And this is why I love, especially when students bring up political topics, uh, again, any sort of social issue, you know, pick, pick your, you know, pick your social issue, abortion, gun control, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and there's, it's so easy to just say, you know, so as an example, oftentimes when students say, well, I want to write a paper on gun control, I say, well, what about exactly? Well, either guns should be, you know, the government should regulate guns or the government shouldn't regulate guns. And when I have a student that says, says that, I say, well, where is your line? And that really does get them to start thinking because obviously it's more complicated already than that, right? To say, well, the government should ban all guns. Well, is that what you actually believe? And most students, they say, well, no, but these types of guns should be banned. And I say, well, then that's what the paper should be about. And conversely, when students say, well, the government shouldn't take away our guns, I say, well, what guns should they take away? And they similarly say, well, you know, obviously there is, <laughs> you know, there is a line, like people shouldn't be walking around with bazookas and uh, tanks and, uh, you know, all sorts of other things, nuclear arms and that sort of stuff, right? So, there are lines. It's really about arguing the nuance of those those fine lines and those fine points, and again, finding the actual relevant research to those specific points. And it, you know, it's interesting. I think this is so valuable to to just look deeper into many of these issues. And similarly, another assignment that we do is a rhetorical analysis where we analyze uh, student opinion pieces from the student newspaper, student written newspaper. And the best ones of those papers that I find are my students who analyze opinions that they agree with in terms of the idea, but they disagree with how the argument is made because it, it shocks me every semester I have so many students who say, wait, I'm allowed to say bad things about the article or I'm allowed to say good and bad things about the article. And, I, you know, this is what we talk about. Well, yes, as in life, it's how many people do you know who are purely good? How many people do you know who are purely evil? Okay, those people who you think are purely evil. Is there nothing good about them? Is there truly nothing redeeming about them? They don't love their kids or care about their families. They, they don't have any goodness in them. I mean, I'm, there are obviously maybe examples where that's more true than others, but oftentimes it's, it's more complicated than that, right? So I think getting us thinking outside of those, those sort of binary functions of well, it's a it's a black and white issue purely, you know. I think becomes really really interesting and really useful and really helpful. Uh, you know, again, if if anything, uh, not to change your own political view, even which sometimes that happens, it develops, you know, a little bit uh, more comprehensively. But to just understand and to understand, ideally, hopefully, what might be more equitable courses moving forward. And so I think you know. Again, this is now we've been talking more about specific papers and specific assignments as opposed to classroom discussions, but it does come up. I, I mean, a perfect example is the other day a student brought up uh, sort of, again, not even the, the more dramatic or more dramatic type of political issue, which was minimum wage. And she simply said, she was like, well, what's the deal with minimum wage, basically? I said, that's a great question. Well, you know, what are we talking about? And I think, you know, we started from this generalization, right? Like, is minimum wage good? Or what should minimum wage be? 
well, what is minimum wage according to who? Well, you have to look at, you know, the town you're in. Do they have a minimum wage? Does the county? Does the state? What? How does that compare with the federal government? Well, what are the effects of all of these at all of these different levels? What are the benefits? What are the negatives? <laughs> and even just having a conversation like that, we pretty much, I feel like we could all agree that, well, it's definitely more complicated than we might think at first thought, right? In terms of what to do and how to do that, you know, screaming that the minimum wage just always needs to be increased, obviously is fairly low resolution to say it should be abolished, seems at least as low resolution, right? You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they they made a great point. I forget where they had gotten the line from, but it was something along the lines of that government is like a fire and you need it to protect yourself, right? You need it to stay warm and survive. But if it gets too big, it will burn everything down. And if it goes out, you'll, you know, you, you won't make it either, right? So there's a balance oftentimes to many, um, many issues. But we're sort of trained and programmed not to think in that way uh, for many reasons, which would be a whole other episode maybe we'll do at some other point in terms of, and I've had these discussions too in class in terms of how the media whether social media or, you know, big brand media affects our thinking in all sorts of ways, right? Anyways, um, in terms of, again, further classroom discussions, I think it does get tricky, especially more so when you have set curriculum. So this is something that I've noticed in freshman seminar classes that I've taught before where you're pretty much given the curriculum and it's pretty set on what that standard is of the information that you're providing. I mean, it's difficult when that's sort of taken out of your hands. So I personally prefer sort of broader spectrum classes like my writing classes where I have the ability more so to uh, sort of moderate and, and sort of hear what students have to say and take a step back and, and really ask like, well, why do you think this? Like, what is the actual information that informs this? And, you know, if you can get to a point of defining or differentiating more between moral values and concrete facts and information that's actually a pretty good place to start and it's a pretty good place to continue from because these are often conflated right we we oftentimes we see in all sorts of lower resolution arguments exactly this issue that um there there are no clear facts or the the facts aren't even agreed upon and uh, boy i mean we could go on with that but i i, I don't have the time or wherewithal right now to do exactly that because the fact that we can't agree on what, you know, oftentimes to me seem like objective truths is, is a huge problem. I mean, climate change is the big political one for me. That's one of the few where I pretty much will let my opinion out on just because, I, you know, from everything I've read, I mean, I teach at a research university. So I, I know people who firsthand do this research as well as you know, reading plenty more by what students research and students find. Um, so, you know, when that comes up, it's, you know, that can be very difficult, but I think very useful to ask, well, how do I present this in a way where I, I really do genuinely want to show people how to access this information and, and how to, you know, again, you, you, my point being coming back to what I was saying earlier about social media is that you don't get anywhere from demeaning and trying to demoralize and trying to you know, one up somebody in that more superficial way. Well, how do you not know this? How how could you possibly think that? That does nothing to bring people to your side. And if that is your ultimate goal, your true purpose, well, 
you have to ask, how would I be convinced? How would I be brought in? How would I be engaged? And it's usually not by being an asshole to somebody, right? It's usually by pointing, oh, this is actually really interesting. You should read this for for this reason, you know, these reasons. You know, treating people like people. I know, sounds shocking in this <laughs> era of social media and social media fighting, maybe. Um, but I, I, I would say that's sort of my main point or the main takeaway that I, I would want uh, anybody listening to have, whether you're an instructor, a student, just a, a student of life, which we all are myself included. Um, and that's where I sort of draw my line in terms of my own politics in the classroom. You know, I, I think of myself as more of the fact that I'm trying to get people to think at a point and at a level where the conclusions they come to will be more productive, which happens to coincide uh, oftentimes with my own political beliefs because I'd like to think that I've similar, similarly uh, done that process as well. Um, but not always. But I think, again, it's it's like you're not always going to convince people to change their minds over the course of a day, a month, a week, a year even. And it might not even be about that, right? It might just be about them getting to self-reflect. So I'm more interested in that, you know, really asking why do people think what they think? And I, I think that's important for us whether we're teachers or whether we're, you know, uh, learners or whoever we are, I don't think it matters. Um, so I do know instructors who are pretty unabashed about their, you know, their politics in the classroom in terms of letting their own politics be known. I, I very rarely do that. I mean, I can't help but to make fun of Trump, um, just because he he has so many good examples of, uh, you know, just lack of professionalism and how he gets away with it and how that's not convincing to people who don't already agree with him, right? It empowers the people who already agree with him, which is kind of an interesting rhetorical strategy or rhetorical technique. And it's useful in that way, perhaps, right? But it does nothing to bring others to his side. And again, my point being that if that is your goal, well, then here are the ways that you don't want to emulate something like that. So that would be maybe the one concrete example I can point to in terms of where my personal politics come out, just because, it, you know, if he's getting away with doing it to, you know, his success, I'm going to call out, you know, again, why that might not be a great productive way of doing, uh, trying to engage others for, um, for ourselves, right? So again, I, I think, you know, sometimes you, ha you have to just try to rein things back in, in terms of discussions when they get out of hand. It's never a perfect system, but so is politics. And the way I rein in discussions, you know, especially if they start to get heated, which they sometimes do in classrooms uh, about political issues, is, you know, pause and, and, and get back to these questions of how and why people really think what they do. And if they don't know or the, the answers are unclear, we can say, well, let's pause on this and try to find out, right? You know, come back later, do some research, see what we come up with, right? And so that's, that would be my advice, you know, ask, I think, for all of us, what is our purpose here in, in terms of having a discussion? You know, am I trying to win or am I trying to learn? And I think you, or at least how I feel is that you win by, by learning. Um, and I think it comes back to that answer that uh, you want to try to be better. And I think the way to get there is to 
be be unbiased as much as you can, which means essentially being honest. So thank you all again for listening to this rant on politics in the classroom. I don't know if I actually covered everything I wanted to. There's so much to talk about with this, but I hope you can at least take away a few key points in terms of you know how again this is something that we we can't avoid um but we have to ask how we can more productively engage political discussions and you know again not letting vocal minorities sort of run the show which is kind of how it feels publicly now um and i, I again i don't know quite the answer to this but i like to think that at least with my students um you know we work more towards you know at least checking ourselves in terms of, you know, trying not to shut down other sides, if anything, you know, just to learn why they think what they think, right? You know, that's maybe step one. But uh, anyways, that helps you uh, think about why why you think what you think, which again, may, may make you a better person. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm far from perfect myself. So take that with a grain of salt, right? Anyways, uh, thank you guys again so much. I uh, really appreciate you listening. If you are listening still, whoever you are, you seem like great people, um, which is why you're listening to me, I'm sure. Well, that sounded a little Trumpy, speaking of. Anyways, our topic next week, please join us again for that. And it will be, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> I have a few ideas. There's actually been some really great discussions lately, so we'll see. But if you have suggestions for topics, uh, because... You know, I, I, I'm sure anything you can think of I've encountered in the classroom in terms of educational issues or, or topics or subjects of teaching and learning and writing. So if you have any questions along those lines, please let us know. You can tweet at us. Uh, our Twitter is at Labs, or you can go to our website at podbean.com slash Professor Labs podcast and uh comment there let us know and uh we we would love to hear from you so thanks again so much for listening um and we hope to see you next time until then keep learning and uh have a great time at it take care bye bye